Hey everyone, you're listening to the official podcast of The Calling, the young adults group of Glenwood Community Church. These episodes serve as an anchor for us to meditate on and act as the conversation starter for our gatherings over Zoom. We look forward to when we can gather together once again as a community, but for now we keep our eyes focused on God and the story he's revealing to the world. Today I'm joined by my friend and co-worker and fellow Star Wars fanatic, Brandon Dixon. We're getting to talk about race, reconciliation, and the gospel. Just with everything that's going on in our world, we thought it would be a good thing to talk about. Let's get started. Welcome, Brandon. Thanks for having me on. This is uh, super exciting to talk about these things. Yeah, it's uh, definitely an interesting time in history. I can't wait to see if there will be classes in the future about the history of 2020 and all of the things you'll have to memorize for what has happened this year. I mean, you could fill just a whole semester just filled with just the first six months of what's gone on this year. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's really something. Uh, The... I was looking on Instagram a while ago and there was all these pictures of everything that has happened in 2020. Uh, like, you know, Australia caught on fire, coronavirus. Yeah, I think I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then what's next? And then there's like the Death Star with like the Star Destroyers for July. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so great. So great. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm here with Brandon today and he's joining us because we're here to talk about just everything that's happened these past couple of weeks in regard to the conversations on race. Uh, We want to be looking at the gospel and reconciliation light of this. And uh, just in response to what's happening in our nation, we want to just tell you that God loves diversity. And when that is threatened by injustice, God calls us to action. So in this discussion, we're going to try to leave politics at the door. We're not going to be talking about police brutality or the protests, but we're going to get to the heart of the issue, which is ultimately the topic of race and ethnicity and the gospel and how that fits into all this and how we are reconciled to God in the midst of of these things going on here. Eric, I think this is a really important question, especially for the church to talk about because our uh, culture that we live in our American culture is just being rocked by what happened a couple Mm -hmm. of weeks ago in um, that basically I think woke up the America to what's been happening, what's been going on inside the black community. And now there were a couple, there were three to four very specific incidents that happened in the, um, uh, in the past couple of weeks that, Mm -hmm. uh, I, that have been really, really kind of important in moving this conversation about race forward. Um, we had the first the video that happened to Ahmaud Arbery where he was jogging down the street and got murdered by a couple of men. And then we had a video where um, a lady named Amy Cooper was confronting a man named Christian Cooper and we can talk, but we're going to talk about that a bit further because I think the it was really interesting talking about the dynamic of power and race in that video. And then the kind of the one that blew everything up was what happened to George Floyd, where we see a, a police officer kneeling on his neck for nine minutes um, while he was while George Floyd was shouting like I can't breathe. Right. Um, 
Mm. And this is important to talk about these things because not only is um, not only is this our world being rocked by that right now, but it gives us a glimpse into the black community of what's been happening inside the black community. We've had all these tragedies. And uh, if you go up to someone in the black community and just ask them like, Hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? Like most of them will answer. I am very angry right now. I am very frustrated. I am very mournful. I am very heartbroken at these things going on. Um, because it's not, these aren't just isolated incidents. They are all very, they are all connected. Um, and it's not just something that's going on. That's just like, Oh, this just happened today. Like this has been going on for years and years and years. And I would say that, um, it gives, it's been giving the white community a glimpse into, um, what we call systemic racism that goes on in our country against african-american people yeah totally and yeah it's just crazy to see that that for a lot of us i think the blinders have really been removed or it's it's not really something to joke about anymore or it's it's not exactly something to just look lightly over this is a problem and you know i'm i'm just trying to ask myself what do we do about it and how do we how do we be the bridge to fix uh, these issues. And I, I think a big part of the change actually can come through the church. But in order to do that, you know, you mentioned something about systemic racism. What does that mean? Yeah. So it's very hard to define systemic racism in simple terms because it's a very complex issue that not only hits the hearts of uh, people, but also the hearts of our institutions around us. Um, And I'll give you kind of like a, a, um, I'll give you a a small part of what contributes to systemic racism um, is the, um, the way part of it is the way that we, look at other people not just like okay we consciously looking at them and seeing the person but just unconsciously how do we react towards people when we see them in different situations like right. the example i uh, it's it the example i give is um most of us are really are familiar with the town of battleground you know just like simple it's more of a smaller town just kind of one street through imagine that you're walking down um say historic battleground and and it's a friday evening um the lights are coming on it's just kind of a really nice peaceful night and you walk down you're walking down the street and then ahead of you you see um eric walking towards you you don't know it's eric but it's Mm -hmm. just the white guy um you're walking and you might say you know you might just kind of ignore him you might say hi you might smile um Probably but you have kind of, yeah, <laughs> uh, but you have really no reaction to it. Yeah. Now take that same scenario, walking down the street and instead of someone like Eric, a white guy, it's a black guy walking down the street. Hmm. Um, instantly before you can even think, before you can say anything, um, what's your reaction in that s- situation? Um, I think for a lot of white people, you might have just like an instant reaction of fear of just like, oh, what's this guy doing? Um, and you might correct that and think like, oh, he's fine, whatever. But you might like unconsciously like shy away from him. You might kind of avoid looking at him. You might start feeling a little bit nervous. Um, 
I've had people who have like crossed, you know, who have late ladies who have like, I've walked past them and they start, you know, they clutch their purses a little bit more uh, harder, or they might walk across the street. Like it's that unconscious bias that we have before we even, before even rational thought begins, when we look at somebody and see, okay, is this person a threat to me? And a lot of times it's really based on the color of their skin. Right. I think, and I think that we're really good sometimes at being like at confronting that right away. I was like, why do I feel this way? And we try to correct that. And that's great. But part, but part of that is um, this, this unconscious bias that we might have towards somebody is something that we need to confront within ourselves. Mm. And kind of going back to the um, Amy Cooper video that I referenced right. yeah. earlier, um, this is how this, this, uh, unconscious bias kind of contributes to the systemic racism in that video. If you go, um, if you haven't seen it, I encourage you go watch this video because you see this woman, you see this confrontation that's happening because this woman has her dog off a leash in a part of the park that is supposed to be leashed. Mm -hmm. And she says, so, and so this guy, a Christian Cooper, who is a black guy, um, confronts her and says, Hey, you need to have your dog on a leash. And they have this. Uh, heated exchange and so then Christian Cooper starts recording it and in this recording you see Amy Cooper say to him I'm going to call the police I'm going to tell them that there's a black man threatening my life hmm. she's you very angry at this point um, and then she calls the police and as soon as she calls the police you hear her voice change you hear fear creep into her voice you yeah. hear her say like on the phone I'm at so-and-so park and there's a man here who's, who, who's recording me and he's threatening me and my dog. You hear like this panic in her voice that wasn't reflected, you know, two minutes ago when she was angry at Christian Cooper. And I think this really kind of speaks powerfully to how our implicit bias and speaks into systematic racism, because in that moment, Amy Cooper knew that people can perceive black people as a threat and a fear right and she knew that if the police would have shown up then she would have they would have believed her in her story of like oh here this is white woman who's being threatened by this black guy and she knew that she had this power to shape the narrative the way that she wanted because she knew how most people view black people as a threat Right. And, and, and it, the question around that is, is like, did she actually consciously know that even if she didn't, it still would have been pretty powerful to see like, oh, wow. Like, why didn't she just say a man? She said specifically an African-American man is threatening me and my dog and the leverage and the power that she had there to really provoke the police to come and do something about it. No, so she just, you just didn't say it wasn't an Asian man. It wasn't a white man, but she used the title, a black man. So mm -hmm. that's just. Yeah. In that moment you see her, I mean, she's, she doesn't, she describes herself as a liberal Democrat who's not racist, but in that moment you see her use the power of racism against Mr. Cooper. And the scary thing is like, what would have happened if, he hadn't caught that on film. Right. What would have happened if the police showed up and they see this confrontation going on? They're going to, because of the way that our systematic 
or you know implicit bias has worked in our country against black people they would have believed her right over over christian cooper yeah totally and what's scary about that is like you know a couple days later we have the george floyd video released and for me it was just like what happened to um george floyd could have very easily happened to christian cooper if he hadn't been videoing that interaction yeah that comment that will smith made said racism isn't back it's just being filmed and so it's it's just so powerful to see that we've been so blind to it when you take away you know shopping malls when you take away going out to eat at restaurants when you take away sports when everyone's locked in all day it almost focuses us on the issues at hand so kind of crazy there now i'm I wouldn't say that I'm racist. I don't wave a Confederate flag. I have friends who have different colored skin like you. I grew up speaking another language and, you know, learned a lot of Spanish, you know, in my, during my time in high school. But yet something is telling me that there is a bias to my own skin color and the way I treat others based on that. Is that true? Am I a racist or, or what's, what's going on with that? Yeah, I mean, we all wouldn't say that we're racist in name indeed and you know when you say yes i'm not racist you're not racist yes it's absolutely true however we're focusing on an individual level here instead of taking it up and looking at how our culture operates as a whole against people of different color all, all we need to do to see that is just look at our look at our american history right how we've treated you know people of color throughout our history like mm -hmm. we it's a, it's just it's a shame that we have slavery so associated with our um with our country mm -hmm. and you know praise god that it's been done away with but mm -hmm. just because slavery's done, been done away with doesn't mean that we've completely fixed every problem. And that's what people like to believe is like, well, if we don't have slavery, well, Martin Luther came and uh, did it helped us pass civil rights in the 60s. So we're all good. When in fact, no, like our culture is, has systems in place and uh, systems in place that actively push down black people and cause them not to thrive. Like there was a statistic that I, that, um, um, I heard from Nathan Niemeyer that said that white families have, um, if we're talking about wealth here, white families compared to black families, uh, white families have uh, over 100% more wealth than black families have. Mm. Wow. That's pretty and crazy. so when you look at that, you think, okay, well, what's going on here? And, yeah. you know, there's a lot of things that can contribute to that, but we have to like, we have to ask ourselves a question like what is going on if we look at statistics of the different socioeconomic areas of our country we see that they skew disproportionately towards white people as opposed to black people and this goes for fields in education this goes for fields in like i said wealth this also goes for statistics in our criminal justice system as well yeah that's pretty powerful. I mean, man, just to, to think and to comprehend all of that is, is just so much. And uh, I, I remember I w we were talking with Zegan about this the other day, but he was like, yeah, that 
scene from Remember the Titans always gets me where Sunshine and all the other guys, they go into that diner and they're eating there and they get kicked out because Sunshine is this white guy and he's with a bunch of black people. And he says, no, come on, we can go in here. It's just cool. And like, you know, the other guys are like, no, we're not going to be accepted in there. And like, he doesn't get it. He's just kind of, he's kind of like, oh yeah, no, that's, that's all done away with. Yeah, it's, it's, it's totally fine. But his cultural lenses prevent him from seeing the hatred that goes on in that community. And, and, and there's a lot of things that we're sheltered from or we don't see because we haven't lived in that world. And so it's, it's kind of a time where I think our eyes are really being opened up to see the injustice around us and to recognize that it is there. And I was, I was even talking with Judy Bufford, one of our, our college leaders about this, and she was saying, yeah, this is the time when it seems as though God is pulling back the curtain and is revealing to us what is there. And it is our chance and it's our job to now repent of the things that have gone down in our heart. And for us as the church to move into a, a season of repentance for this, we have to start having these conversations. We have to start repenting of the areas that we have been biased. And it, I think, prevents unity in the kingdom of God. So, Brandon, as we move into looking what the Bible says about this subject, race or ethnicity, which term should I use? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think that um, the, the more common term that people have been using is race, which I think is really more unhelpful because if we think about race, mm-hmm. like what does that mean? We're all one human race together. Yeah. Uh, if we think about the black race versus white race, like what does it even mean to have the a white race? Like, yeah. you know, so I think using ethnicity is a more helpful term because ethnicity goes way deeper than just okay what is your skin tone what is your skin color it goes into what type of culture that you've been raised up and um race the word race typically just focuses on like i said your skin color um and you are but ethnicity helps us really kind of put into context who you are as a person both the good things and both the bad things and the good things and stuff and um when the bible speaks to the this term it uses the it uses ethnicity as the term to um the bible uses the word ethnicity to distinguish the differences between individuals yeah for sure and so we kind of look into the first part of Genesis, Genesis one through three. I mean, whenever we tell people to like, where's the answer for this? We're always gonna say, let's start with Genesis. That's always the first thing that we say. So we look at Genesis one through three. It's this account of God just not creating the world, but it's his account to the people of God. And it answers questions such as who is God? Who are we? What are we in relation to him? And so we, we look at the beginning portion right here when he creates man and woman in his image. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created the male and female. And that's one human race. I mean, I love that verse where he says, in the image of God, he created them. In the image of God, all of us reflect the image of God. 
in some way, shape, or form. Like there's debates about, okay, what is it? You know, what is exactly the image of God? But each one of us, despite our skin color, uh, despite our background, we all have the image of God in us, which makes us special as a human race. Right. Now, yeah, totally. what's and what's important is like we don't stop. We don't stop there. Like it's really easy to say, okay, yes, we're all made in the image of God. Therefore, um, you know, we should see past color. We should see past ethnicity. The Bible kind of goes deeper into that. When you know, when we 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 can't just stop at Genesis one um, at all. We need to continue forward to that and see how you know sin and how it has affected all areas and see how. Um, Jesus is redeeming even this area as well. I kind of right. went on a tangent. I kind of went on a tangent there. <laughs> no, that's totally fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's what podcasts are all about. So the, uh, yeah. And as you said, we, we get to sin. So we get to Genesis three, uh, Adam and Eve take of the fruit and they eat it and their eyes become open. They're naked. They realize there's, you know, all the shame that comes with it. And, and with sin invading into the image, the image now becomes marred. It's, you know, kind of this, you know, shattered or, or it's tainted now with the presence of sin. And this causes different things. It causes hatred. It causes mistrust. It causes pain and brokenness to seep into the world through God's image bearers. We see in Genesis 4 that Cain murders Abel because of the sin in his heart. Like already there, there is hatred between brother and brother. We move even into Genesis 10 and we start observing the table of nations. We look at all of Noah's sons and how they split off into different people groups. And all of these different people groups come together as one in Genesis 11 to build this tower of Babel. They're trying to get back up into heaven, but God scatters them for the purpose of to fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply. And so we have all these different people groups all over the place in different areas. There's people groups that are allies. There's people groups that are enemies, but ultimately they're all kind of fighting with each other. And then God decides to do something in Genesis 12, where he elects Abraham to follow him. Now we're going to fast forward to Genesis 16. Here we see this real interesting story about Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. And, you know, there's this whole thing where Abraham and Sarah are trying to get pregnant and they're not able to. So Sarah's like, hey, I have this Egyptian slave named Hagar, whose name in Hebrew, Hagar, means the foreigner. So take that into consideration when we're interpreting the passage. You know, Abraham then mistreats his slave who is the foreigner so right there even we have this kind of narrative of mistreatment between ethnicity and different people groups one is oppressing the other person mm -hmm. yeah yeah we move into exodus from that and we see that egypt is oppressing israel and israel will later then escape but when they receive the law from god and we look into leviticus uh, you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Leviticus 19.34. It says, the alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Or Leviticus 27.19, cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, 
and all people shall say, Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, like, it's really crazy to think, like, okay, God delivered his people from the land. He sets them up as the special people group. Right. God bestows, deliberately bestows his favor on this group. Right. Yet we also see God saying, hey, don't forget about the other person. Don't forget about these other people groups that are out here. Um, and he says, you know, don't withhold justice for them. Um, in other words, treat them as you want to be treated. If you see them being oppressed, you know, give them justice. Uphold what is good. If you see evil going on towards the foreigner, then you need to do your part to help make that right. Yeah, totally. Those words, zadokah and mishpat, righteousness and justice, are two words that are constantly used throughout the Old Testament to describe how the people of God are supposed to act. We look at King David, it says that he rules with zadokah and mishpat, righteousness and justice. We, I mean, look at Micah 6, 8, what is required of you, a man of God, uh, to do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And, and justly to do justice, you know, it's not just the, 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 the writing of wrongs, but it's, you know, freeing people from oppression. It has, it has that kind of connotation that's, that's often used with it. And uh, yeah, and we see like the Israelites, one of the reasons why they went into exile while they were conquered was because they were not upholding justice and doing rightly. We see throughout the Old Testament, God saying, look, you are, you know, you are, being hypocritical now you're not following me we see throughout the old testament that god's saying look you are extorting the poor you are extorting the foreigner you are not taking care of the widow and the orphan you are not seeking justice right you pay lip service in doing sacrifices but when it comes down to it you're not doing anything to fix the injustice around you right yeah god's intention for Israel seems to them not be these chosen people who were just supposed to be God's club or God's favorite. It's rather the opposite. Uh, They were supposed to be a kingdom of priests that showed the light that displayed God's mercy and his love and his compassion, not just to them, but to all people. That that theme is all over the place. We see that expanded when we get to the New Testament like a lot of people like to say, oh yeah, God of the Old Testament is so different from the New Testament. God, no, it's not even true. You look, you read the Gospel of Luke, and you see that the Gentile inclusion, or God, is so concerned with bringing mm-hmm. in the people who are on the outside, coming to know who Jesus is. Oftentimes, it's the people who are so close to Jesus, the the Jewish circle around him, that is the farthest from him. So it's it's just crazy to think about that in light of our Christianity today. Sometimes we are so laser focused in our own kind that we're we're not concerned with the people on the outside. We're not concerned with people who don't know God. We're not concerned about being the agents of what true justice is for certain people. We look over here in, in John eight forty eight, and I, I just think this is crazy. We see more evidence of racism here. And there's this there's this insult that's given to Jesus here. It's racism like, that's on, on the part of uh, God's people. Yeah, totally. And, and this is Jewish people to Samaritans. 
and and when you want to insult someone, you call them a Samaritan because the Samaritans were this group of people who had intermixed with the Assyrian sort of race and over time had come to be their own sect of people. And if you were a Jewish person and if you wanted to insult someone, you would call them a Samaritan. So just such a derogatory term for the people who they thought were God's enemies. And so here in John 8, 48, we see Jesus receiving this insult, you're a Samaritan and you have a demon. Even more powerful, last week as we looked in the college group, that Luke 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is this story about the great reversal. It's actually the Samaritan who is closest to God's heart. It's the Samaritan who teaches the Jewish person what it means to truly love God. It challenges the Jew to also show that God's love and his mercy is extended to everyone, not just the people around him. And you can find dignity in the other person who you look down, who you might look down upon. Yes, absolutely. Later on in Jesus's ministry, it shows that he goes to the cross. He, he dies unjustly. He dies oppressed. Jesus can empathize with the unjust and oppressed because he was as well. Because of his resurrection, he vanquishes the power of sin and racism and enables us to live new spirit-empowered and filled lives that uplift others rather than to see people as less than. What do you think of that? Yeah, I absolutely do agree with that. Like, Because what Jesus does is he reminds us that, yes, we were once separated from him. We were once the outcast. Right. But we have this person coming to us. We have the person of Jesus coming to us and say, hey, I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to be on the inside. And so he brings us in on the inside. And then he says, look, he shows us that um, our new life now is so amazing that we just can't keep it to ourselves. We have to bring other people in to be part of that. And he shows us that, you know, Jesus is really good at showing us like, hey, when we see sin around us, sin starts first here in our hearts and we have to confront that. And then when we confront that, we're able to empathize with people in their sin and say, hey, yes, this is where you're going. But look, there's a different path ahead of you. Um, you know, Jesus wants you to change your ways to be better than who you are and to and he's wants you a part to be a part of his family yeah totally because all throughout jesus ministry we see him ministering and loving the people who are constantly on the outside who are constantly oppressed the poor the needy the broken god is among them and he's there for them and he's he's bringing them in to the fold and so it's it's just such a, a beautiful thing and 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 really when we have these cultural blinders on about racism and maybe our cultural biases it prevents us from being able to spread the gospel efficiently i we see in acts 1 through 8 jesus charges his disciples the gospel is to go to judea samaria and the ends of the earth and mm -hmm. we even see in in acts chapter 8 gospel comes to the ethiopian church i mean this this guy is probably black 
and mm-hmm. the gospel goes to him. They are welcomed into the people of God. The image of God is restored, and it is shown throughout the different people groups of of the world. Yeah, and even even um, before, if I may, Eric, even before, like in um, yeah. in Acts chapter six, we see the church even before they even address this issue of uh, like Gentiles and Jews, we see that there's this issue that comes up in uh, Acts chapter six, where yeah. some of the, um, um, the, the Hellenistic Jews, so the Jews that weren't um, Jewish by nature, but they were Gentiles that came into the church, we see them right. complaining because some of them are being overlooked in the distribution of food uh, that goes on there. Wow. And we don't see, and we don't end up, uh, we didn't, we, the disciples look at that instead of being like, well, you know, you guys are more you know, second-class citizens because you're not true Jews. What they do is say, hey, this is an issue that we want to get, we want people to get taken, we want this to get taken care of. They say, you know, our job is to preach the gospel, yet we see that this is a very important issue that needs to be fixed. So therefore, we're going to appoint people to take care of this issue. Right. And what they do is they don't just, appoint, they don't appoint like uh, true, like, you know, Jews to overlook this. They don't appoint like their own club of Jews to do this. They appoint people who are more, uh, they appoint Hellenistic Jews, people who were Gentiles who became Jews to take a look at this and fix it. And one of those people is Stephen, who it says specifically is a man full of faith and, uh, and of the Holy Spirit and Philip and Prochorus and all these other people who are um who don't have jewish names right and so like we see right off the bat that the jews aren't even or the the, um the disciples aren't even really thinking about like terms of of you know different keeping having one ethnicity having one having power over another we see that they are concerned about justice and they want to see that happen and what they do to address it is appoint those people who are being oppressed the power to be able to take care of this situation. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. It really is. And I wonder if because of all of these things that are happening in the book of Acts and the exciting things about how the gospel is spreading, that's why when we get to Revelation 7-9, John says, hey, it's every tribe, every tongue, every nation are worshiping before the throne. So yeah. we get this we get this vision into the future about like wow here is what's happening people all over from every tribe every tongue every nation they're worshiping god and they're not just worshiping god in one way they're probably worshiping god in many different ways yeah it's 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 um like he, john could have just said you know hey a bunch of, i saw a bunch of christ followers you know worshiping god but he specifically specifically points out these differences and says they're worshiping god uh, it, you know, from, you know, people from every tongue, tribe, and race. One thing that I I'll try to imagine, what that would that look like if we had, like, say, this huge worship session going on, and then every tribe, every tongue, every race, or every ethnicity has uh, their chance to kind of, like, lead the worship. You might have, like, yeah. you know, your, uh, you know, a country music people going up singing songs, and then the next act, uh, act might be, like, a... Um, uh, like a a black rap song or something like that, and yeah. then you have or or a gospel song, and then you just have all of these things that are mixing together, uh, that are praising and worshiping God, and I think that tells us that God values 
our specific cultural identity and background. And he doesn't push that down, but he calls us to express it and celebrate that, especially when it comes to worshiping him. Right, totally. And that might make us uncomfortable in, in certain ways, but I, I think it's a really good thing. I remember when I went to a church that was kind of in the jungles of Guatemala. It was way out in the middle of nowhere. And I remember this one thing that we did once where they're like, okay, we're all gonna, we're all gonna pray out to God everyone at the same time and everyone is praying out loud it's not just a the pastor is praying and everyone's silent everyone is praying out loud different prayers different times some people are yelling some people are crying some people are just praying quietly and it's such an amazing experience to to hear this and for me i was even feeling a little bit uncomfortable like oh my gosh like i this is so hard to hear myself think and to do this but uh, to really expose ourselves to the way different people worship and different people come to approach the throne of grace and communicate with God, I think is a beautiful thing. And we need to be accepting that within the way that we do church or just being even aware of how people come to know God and experience him. Yeah, absolutely. Not only just be aware, but be able to come to the point where, I mean, granted, we all have different like, different music styles that we like and listen to right some that we don't like but even when it comes but even um like if we talk about this idea of worship we should be able to even if we are uncomfortable we should be able to see the value and beauty of some of these different um, ethnicities and cultures representing themselves before god and you know that is an incredibly beautiful thing yeah god sees it as beautiful totally and and i'm not saying that our churches all now need to become these people who include every single different type of worship or like we need to change our worship in entirely differently just because all these other people are no i I think there's beauty of of our own cultures representing that but i think Uh a poor move on our part to say this is the only way it needs to be done Yes, so exactly. When we, when, we, when we do that, we essentially are kind of wiping the table of everyone else and, and their expression and their love for who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. I like in this, this last verse right here, I think this beautifully ties it together. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm quite amazed by it. I didn't notice it until the other day. But when I look at Revelation 22, 2, it says, The tree of life was on both sides of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations. I was like, why, why put that in there? That's so weird. And I look back, you know, we look back to Genesis 3 mm-hmm. and Adam and Eve sin. In the middle of the garden, midst of the garden, there's the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve take from the tree of knowledge of good and evil instead of the tree of life. And when they do that, it shatters the relationship between them, it also shatters mm-hmm. the nations, you know, by effect, yeah. them choosing that shatters that. And, and here we see this, this massive reversal. Uh, the tree of life is there. The tree of knowledge of good and evil isn't there, but it's the tree of life. And instead of a tree that breaks the nations, here we see a tree that brings the nations together. To restore and heal them. Yeah, no, that's really, yeah, I haven't noticed that before. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really I know. Great. Totally blew my mind the other day. But it's this cool picture that in heaven, 
we are all going to be united. We're all going to be together. So Jesus has solved the racism problem in the new heavens and the new earth. But right now, it's still kind of an issue. We live in the (laughs) in-between. Totally. Yeah. And it's still something that we're trying to deal with and figure out. So I think this is an important thing. If we're going to live in the new heavens and the new earth, we can't be dealing with our bias, with racism, with any of this stuff. So let's move into a time where we can think about how do we actually do this? So the first thing is racism is sin. We all know this. It's slandering God's image. It's insulting his creation to look down on somebody and say, you are less than is absolutely horrible. Yeah, totally. It's, uh, it's, it's really something that we have to look at within our own hearts and say, in what ways have I been culturally biased to the other side? And yeah. we need to repent of that. We, we totally do. And, it, and it's, not, it's not just a like, I mean, it's very easy to think, yeah, racism is sin. Like, 100, like all of us here who are probably listening to this podcast would agree that yes, racism is a sin. Mm-hmm. Amanda oh, yeah. Cooper, or sorry, Amy Cooper also believed that racism is a sin. Yet in her, you know, in the darkest part of her heart, this came, this ugly monster came to life. Right. So we have to really look hard and deep in our hearts to think like, what tendencies, how do I, or what tendencies do I have in my heart that look down upon other people? Right. Totally. And it's so interesting because when we want to try to solve this issue, then we just say, oh, well, you know, I'm colorblind. I, I, I don't see color, you know, everyone's kind of the same in my eyes, but this is actually kind of an unhelpful phrase because, because when we say this, we're not really affirming what makes the other person unique or special or how God had created them. Yeah. I mean, if you look at me and say, Hey, like, I don't see color. I look back at you and think, well, I mean, obviously I'm a black person. So like, I'm not white like you. Right. So when you say I'm colorblind, therefore it means, well, okay, your experiences, your ethnicity, your culture doesn't matter because, you know, in our, in our church, in the area of Clark County, it is like the, the population of black people is in the single digits, like right. under five. Totally. So a lot of people who listen to this podcast don't have to deal with the reality of your skin color affecting everything around you. So when you say, hey, I don't see color, you're even more pushing down on the value that my blackness brings right. to this. So instead right. of saying that, you should, in fact, absolutely, you should instead like just celebrate who black people are. You should celebrate black culture. Say, you know, I actually see you. I see your uniqueness. I see the differences that God has given you that deserve to be celebrated. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's definitely, I think, the heart of the whole all lives matter, black lives matter thing. When I'm saying black lives matter, it, it truly does because I'm, I'm recognizing and I'm celebrating that you are special and you're important and that you bring something valuable to our society and you bring something valuable to the table. You bring something valuable to our church. But when I say all lives matter, it really just kind of 
knocks the whole playing field. You wouldn't say to your friend who just lost their mom, well, all moms matter. Right, You would exactly. say, no, oh, mom. your mom did matter, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, you wanna, when I say all lives matter, it almost seems to remove what makes us special and unique. And I think we, we say all lives matter in a way that we, we're not really trying to be mean. But in this cultural moment, it's probably not the best thing for us to say right now. And, and there's also the problem of the Black Lives Matter Foundation. As Christians, it might be affirming for us to an organization that we don't ethically agree with on some of their statements. Like the Black Lives Matter movement, I, I agree with the statement and what they're doing, but I don't support everything about their statement of beliefs and their organization. So it's, it's really just kind of this awkward place for Christians because we're forced to choose sides. And when we say one thing and post it on social media, we don't want people to think that we believe one thing or another. Or if I post something on social media, then people will think, oh, I'm a totally different person. And, and I think this, and I affirm that. I'm like, no, no, that's not, that's not true. So we're in such a weird time where anything that you put on the internet can be taken for something else. And there's all this back and forth mud throwing at one another about who's right, who's wrong. And it's really frustrating for us because we don't really know how to fix this system. We're not political experts. Uh, this is probably why you and I went to seminary because we're just like, yeah, we're just <laughs> and, and, and we love that. Uh, but yeah, what can we do in the meantime? We, we both put on here, we need to look in our hearts and see the tendencies of racism that we both have. Uh, how do we react in humility in order to investigate our hearts and see the things around us that need to change? Yeah, I mean, I, I, like, I'll, I, I will admit, I, in my heart, have racist, racist tendencies towards other black people. Wow. Like, what I was describing before, like, that was a reality that I lived as well. I could look and walk down the street, see a black person and think uh, like instantly in my heart, like have a little bit of fear even and think like, okay, what are they doing? Do I need to watch out for them? Do I need to keep my eye on them? Like, like that's me as a biracial person saying that. Hmm. Like that is, and that's something that I had to come and grapple, you know, come to grips with and, repent of and still even to this day need to repent of like i'm crazy Uh, i'm i can i can be racist towards people of my own skin color but and, and that's when i'm really thankful for the gospel of jesus to where i can honestly admit that and you know jesus forgives me for that and i can move forward and say no i don't want to be this way I want to change. I want to be able to instead, instead of looking at a black person and seeing the, the and seeing like where um, I can look at a black person and instead of seeing them as a threat, as a fear, I can look at them and celebrate their skin color instead. Right. Totally. And I, I would have to repent even in my own heart. Like I'm aware of my own whiteness, so to speak. And sometimes I look upon people of color and think, you know what? Like I'm, I'm happy that I have a good life and that I don't have to deal with certain things. Or sometimes I I look at people and I say, yeah, like 
I believe my life is a little bit better than them and that's why they're doing what they're doing. Or sometimes I think that my education or the amount of money I have enables me to, I think, just say, well, yeah, I'm a little bit more put together than they are because of, of my status. And, and that's just like so ugly within me. I'm like, oh, I hate that. Why don't I just see them as a, another image bearer of God? Why, do I, why am I letting my cultural lenses shape how I act and how I think about other people? And, and I need to repent of that. That's a serious issue. Uh, and, and, and it sounds, it sounds terrible, but I'm like, man, it's like deep within my heart. Sometimes I've, I've felt, I've felt those things and I really need to say, yeah, I repent of that. Lord Jesus, heal me from this evil. Every day, every day, man. Totally. For all of us. Yeah. And so I've really found that my wife and I have been really seeking ways to educate ourselves diversify our takes and our intakes. We're not just reading from white authors, but we're reading from black authors as well. We're trying to understand the experience uh, that has happened. And, and not everyone's experience is, is going to be the same, but I mean, just being able to listen to your story, being able to listen to other people who we know and to read and to see the things that they go through has really been life-changing for not just me, but, but for my wife as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, I mean, there's a book that's called uh, letters to my son. That's written by an author um, who's, he's an atheist. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't proclaim to be Christian in any way, shape or form. Right. But you read the book and he's talking to his son about the reality of what he has to go through on a daily basis as a black person. Right. And it's just heart wrenching. Totally. Like, it, it, like, and when I see that, I'm just like, yeah, I identify with so much of what he says. Hmm. But, you know, unless we go out and ask people, you know, African American people, our, our friends, our, our not random African American people, but our friends who are African American, ask them, what are your experiences like? like how do you feel about what's going on in the world you know their answer might shock you right because they are directly affect, affected by these things that go on and if they they would most likely say in that video of Ahmaud Arbery I saw me in that video of Christian Cooper I saw me mm-hmm. in that video of George Floyd I saw me because mm-hmm that could have happened to me. Mm. Wow. So how are you doing throughout all of this, Brandon? Like despite everything that has happened and all things, all these things on the news, how are you doing? Like I would agree with what I just said. I like, I'm angry. Mm. I'm tired. Mm. I'm fatigued. Mm. I mean, like it, but the, 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 the main emotion is anger Hmm. like i watch like i've tried to watch um the video of george floyd multiple times Hmm. but i just can't because i just see that and i see that could be me or even in 20 years that could be my son like (sighs) oh my gosh and to see and and just to hear the callousness of what went on it's just like that 
that's, that's just crazy. And my heart hurts for George Floyd's family. Right. And, you know, and, and, and the sad reality is like that happens all the time. And the crazy thing is we're starting to see more videos of these type of things. But just think about all the times where there's not video. Right. Where we can't, where we didn't actually have video proof of what was going on. Think about Amy Cooper's video of that instance. If he, Christian Cooper hadn't filmed that, it would have just been like the news, like, you know, black guy threatens white lady in a park. And we would have believed that. Brandon, thanks so much for sharing your experience with us. That's, it's really hard to hear. And we're with you in this. Uh, we stand together in this. Let's pray for hearts to change because we know that despite the many times that we can educate ourselves or the things that we see on social media, it's, it's not going to be how many posts that we put out there. It's not going to be how many conversations that we have about it. It's not going to be through trying to see a whole bunch of different things or participating in a protest. It's through the Holy Spirit that will come change. God is the one to change our hearts and our minds. In this cultural moment, we pray that he will shape our hearts and our lives in worship to him, but also not just, we pray that he will shape our hearts and our minds to the love of him, but also to the love of our neighbor. And who is our neighbor? It's not just those who are right next door to us, it's the rest of the world. Even the people that we think are our enemies or the people that we have cultural biases against, it's to everybody. And we need to be the type of people that eliminate racism from our lives and eliminate those things. That way we may love our neighbor fully as God has loved us. So in this season, we need not to be afraid to talk about race and ethnicity. We're going to mess up. And we probably did several times during this podcast, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. Let's approach these conversations with humility and grace and compassionate empathy as we move towards the new heavens and the new earth together. Brandon said, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to have you on the show and we're excited to see the conversations that come out of this. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Music you hear in this podcast is put together by our friend Caitlin McKinley. We're so thankful for his gifts and talents as he lends them to us during this time. Know that while we are separate, we are praying for you and thinking about you all. May the Lord bless and keep you during this time. Thank you.